there is jazz basketball this month, and that is pretty cool. We're talking about it here on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm JP Chunga. A lot has happened since we last talked, and one of those things is Holly Rowe is joining the broadcast team. She joins this podcast in just a moment to give us a lowdown on her new role, how she got it, what, how it came together, and what she expects from covering this team. You won't want to miss that because she's not only really good at her job, you could tell college football, on the biggest games, she's going across this country covering WNBA as well. Met Holly at a commercial shoot. That's another thing that is new and happened since the last time that we talked on the pod. All class. Amazing to meet on this commercial shoot where we were fake talking to each other. It was very Anchorman-esque where you do the turn to the camera, right? We're just talking amongst each other. We're being very casual. The director says a keyword. For us, it was tippy-toe. And then when he says tippy-toe, we look into the camera and give a smile. Yeah, that's what I did. You'll be seeing this mug on a commercial alongside Holly Rowe. And I've got to say... I'm glad I was able to show my acting chops. Usually I'm just pretending to be interested in what Aaron Falk is saying. Now I was able to show it on the big screen. But Holly was pure class. She was great to meet. And hearing her passion and how excited she is to get into this role, you will not want to miss what she has to say about the Utah Jazz. We'll get to that. But first, just a couple of thoughts on... What has happened so far with the team coming out of Vegas, training camp ended, big reveal was of Rudy Gay and Boyan Bogdanovich not being cleared for full contact in practice. Gay had heel surgery, Bogdanovich dealing with the shoulder thing. If they were playing games for the standings, Bogdanovich might play and Gay still further off. But they've got time to heal, pun intended. As far as impacts regular season play, there are a couple things that you want to keep an eye on for these preseason games. And think of them similar to the Summer League in that if you're an NBA talent, we should be seeing it popping off the page. Doak looked unstoppable in Summer League. Elijah Hughes had great moments in Summer League. And Trent Forrest was useful as a commander of the ball and playmaker in Summer League. Those traits stood out. So in the preseason, how's that going to translate? You know that Rudy Gobert and Hassan Whiteside probably have the top two spots at the center position. What can Doak do to break in and get some minutes of his own? And as far as the point guard position with Trent Forrest, a lot of that success for Doak came because he had a Great point guard in Trent Forrest feeding him the ball. That's what you do in Summer League. If you want to showcase your star center, you bring it along with a good point guard, and that's what Trent Forrest showed. Can he break through as somebody who can be a backup? You have Mike, and then there's playmaking with Donovan in the second unit, Joe Ingles, Jordan Clarkson, and then can Trent bump his way into there as well? He's on a two-way deal, so he'll get a lot of games with the Stars as well. He won't be bereft of opportunity, but with a big club, he can make an impact. He started playing towards the end of last season. 
and he was doing useful things. It's going to come down to that jump shot. Can he hit threes? Then Jared Butler. Yes, he can be a steal at 40. But rookies coming into the NBA will absolutely play inconsistently. It's just what they do. They aren't used to 82 games over the schedule. They will have wonderful moments and then maddingly inconsistent points as well. And you have to take that with a rookie. That's what they can show. Unless they are 100% top picks, nobody's ready for the league. It's going to be a rude awakening for him at some point. But he has the skills. And he showed so many indicators at Baylor that he can handle this type of thing. Donovan was a supernova coming onto the scene, scoring 40 against the Pelicans and all. But there were bumps in the road as well. And how many coaches in the league are able to hand an entire offense to their rookie? That only happened with Donovan. Jared Butler is not going to get the keys to the car. He has to drive in the passenger seat. He's still on his learner's permit right now. Sometimes kids fail driving tests. Sometimes they pass them. They'll have chances for both. And then obviously in, in preseason, want to see this extend to the regular stuff. How's Utah going to tinker with their lineups? How are they going to tinker with the team? Milwaukee was in a similar situation last year. Regular season team, can't get it done in the playoffs. Well, they used last season to work in different things, try new strategies, try different defenses. And they didn't just stay in their stuff when it came to the postseason. Yes, they were a Kevin Durant shoe away from being eliminated. But luck needs to go your way. Health needs to go your way. And the health of Giannis staying on the floor, even though his leg bent like a flamingo, allowed them to win that championship. How are the Jazz going to use this season similar to what Milwaukee did last year? What's the tinkering that Quinn Snyder does? These are the things that you have to keep in mind when it comes to preseason basketball. Four games on the docket next couple weeks and then opening the season against the Thunder. Can't come soon enough. As always, five stars, nice reviews. That's all I ask of you. Let others know that you're listening to the podcast so that everybody can hear Holly Rowe, newest member of the broadcast team. You won't want to miss this. She shares great stories, obviously as a legendary storyteller. We gave an update to the Last Dance farce of Michael Jordan telling his story about the poison pizza. Well, Holly has some insight on that. And good story about Pat Summit, one of the legendary coaches, how she was able to break through and get her trust. And then, of course, since she's on assignment right now covering the sun and the sky in the WNBA, finished it up with some WNBA chatter. Please enjoy one of the best, Holly Rowe, on the pod. Well, I'm very excited. You and I were together for a big super secret photo shoot last week. And we had a blast. And I, what I realized is that the Jazz bosses have put together a group of really cool people that want to do a good job covering this team. So I'm really excited to be part of your team. We're excited to have you on it because uh, Rising Tide lifts all boats. How do you find time in the day? Because you had games on the weekend. You make it to that commercial shoot. You're at Jazz Media Day. You're back out at a game. You've got games throughout the week. 
How do you make the time? Do you have 25 hours in it? What's going on? <laughs> I am in a current stretch of, I've just completed four games in seven days, plus Utah Jazz Media Day. So I'm not going to lie. I'm exhausted. Like I'm absolutely exhausted. You can see, like, I, I tried to get up this morning. I was like, oh, these bags. I've got extra carry-on luggage that I will have to check in. So I'm tired today, but um, it, it's exciting. And, you know, you do make time for things that you're passionate about. And I'm really passionate about the WNBA. So I, I'm staying on those playoffs and I, I stay in that pro in that project because I love it so much. And it is challenging when college football starts. And then we're adding the jazz. So, you know, the jazz folks are really cool. Bart Sharp is, is being so cool about working with my schedule. Um, and I, I love it. I'm going to make it work. Whatever it takes, I'm going to make it work. But I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm raggedy today. <laughs> but it has to come from someplace where you love sports because you're doing this in the fall. Then you have softball in the spring. You've got gymnastics. You've got all these sports that you're covering. Where did that start? Where did your love of sports begin your journey into this crazy world? Well, I love this because a lot of times I do these interviews and people ask me that question and the community won't know what I'm talking about. But because I'm kind of back home and this is the jazz broadcast and this is where my entire family lives I, I, and everyone that knows me in Utah knows I am a sports fanatic because of my father, Del B. Rowe. So my dad was this little 5'3 dynamo of a man from Manti, Utah. And he was really into sports. He lettered in like nine different things in high school from boxing to wrestling to jockey. He was a jockey down in Manti, Utah. And he ended up going to the University of Utah on a boxing scholarship. And my dad just took us to everything. And um, I remember going to my first BYU football game when I was five years old. We came to games at the old Salt Palace. Gosh, I can't even remember. I, it must, it, Moses Malone was playing, so it must have been the old, you know, ABA franchise um, back in the day. So we, we went to sporting events as a family. That's what we did. And then on the weekends, we would go to the Deseret Gym. Now, you're too young to know what the Deseret Gym was, but it was this amazing gym in downtown Salt Lake City. And my dad and my four sisters were all like five, three and below. We would play pickup basketball in the noon league at the Deseret gym. And, you know, we, we were competitive because if you don't win, you don't get to stay on the court. And so that's where I learned how to be competitive in life was the Deseret gym. And um, I mean, I just love sports. I'm obsessed with sports. And I think it comes from my father, Del Rowe, that uh, did a great job raising me in Bountiful, Utah. Who was the first athlete that you connected with and you thought, that is that is my type of athlete. That's somebody that I admire uh, growing up. Well, it's really interesting. I had, I had sports posters on my wall. And one of my first posters that I saved up money to, to send away in an envelope to order was Walter Payton. I loved Walter Payton. Um, sweetness was one of a kind. He ran so hard. So he was one of my first obsessions for sure. Um, and then Mary Slaney, Mary Decker Slaney was a, a long distance runner. And I think back on this now, how weird this is, but why would you be a fan of a long distance runner? Well, she was the only woman I ever got to see on TV as an athlete. So I would see Mary Decker. She was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. I read Sports Illustrated cover to cover every day, every week of my life. I read Sports Illustrated from the time I was probably six years old until now. And Mary Decker was one of the first female athletes they had on the cover there. Um, and, and so I got really obsessed with Mary Decker. And then 
gosh, who else? I mean, you know, then it would, it would start into BYU football year. So I also grew up a BYU football fan. So I think one of my first true obsessions was a quarterback named Gary Scheide back in 1976. I think I was six years old or 10 years old or something. And then Gifford Nelson, I loved. And, um, Mark Wilson, like I just loved all the BYU quarterbacks, Robbie Bosco, Steve Young, Jim McMahon, like I could recite all their stats, everything about uh, BYU football I could recite. And then I got obsessed with Utah basketball in the Tom Chambers era. So Jeff Jonas, Jeff Judkins, uh, that whole group at Utah basketball were my other upset. Like I just got obsessed with people because I'm just curious about people. And I think that still continues today. Well, it has to with all your, all the sports that you're covering and the new endeavor that you've got with the, the Jazz. Where did that experience begin in finding professional basketball in this community? Because, you know, going back, it was, it was BYU football. It was University of Utah football. In the 90s, the running Utes come along and Majerus gets it going. But professional sports in the state have come a long way since then. Yeah, I remember the day the Jazz moved from New Orleans. I remember it like it was yesterday. And, you know, it was a really big deal in our community because we don't have pro teams. You know, I would say BYU football and Utah basketball were our pro teams in that era because Jerry Pym had it rolling at the U and BYU football had it rolling. And so those were kind of our two biggest sports in the state, I would say. And I remember the day they announced it and just being really excited. Um, we went to games right away. I, I remember Frank Layden, you know, I, I, I became close with Frank Layden in later years, but I remember kind of being a fan of his because he was this unusual, boisterous, exuberant coach and who was really good. And so I quickly got obsessed with the jazz. And then, um, gosh, I, I, I can't remember what the year was, but I started working Utah jazz games as a utility And so what that is, is you work for the TV broadcast and you coil cables. And so you are the person that runs behind the camera guy and you're giving that, you know, feeding cables to them. And I mean, I did a variety of jobs for the Utah Jazz back in the early 90s, late 80s, probably from stage manager. I did graphics in the TV truck. I did. I was an AD, which is person telling you when you come back from commercial stuff like that. I was a stage manager for Ron Boone for very many years. Um, so I've literally worked about every possible job uh, you could work for the Utah Jazz. And then I started getting into media. And one of my first big assignments was for KSL Radio. Chris Tunis was a great host there. And he let me cover the Utah Jazz. And I remember covering the All-Star Game in 1992. And so I would go and be a reporter. And I, I got paid. to be a stringer for the Chicago Bulls radio network and go interview Michael Jordan at a jazz game. So that's when I kind of went from being, you know, behind the scenes and doing all the, the, the legwork to covering the team was like in the 90s, early nineties. And I, and I covered them for a long time in Utah before I I exclusively went to ESPN. The over under being a utility for one of those games, it's high pressure. I did it for Syracuse Duke back when I was in college. And if, if you aren't following that cameraman going into the Duke huddle, you are right, out. And the cables, it's, so over under what you mean is to this day, I have nightmares about doing, <laughs> it's the way they fold the cable yep. so that when they run, it will unfold easily and then you can pull it back together easily. And so it's this style of over under cable menagerie that, that I still, I sort of have it mastered. Like I could over under today if I had to, but you, you know, if you know, you know, all of us who been in the trenches. (laughs) 
and you can't lie. You can't say that you know over under and you don't because you'll be found out real quick. You, those no, things yell can at get you. tied up. Yeah. Yeah, they yell at you and, you and you panic. And you'll miss the shot. You have <laughs> yeah. to get, at the end of the day, you have to get that shot of Coach K talking to Jabari Parker in the in the Duke huddle. I remember that game like it was yesterday. It was amazing. But utility for the Jazz. This is high-pressure stuff. Now that you're that, going to Drake be... Has a yeah, Drake has a good song. We started from the bottom, now we're here. Started from the bottom, now we're here. Started from the bottom, now my whole team here. Started from the bottom, now we're here. That's my, that's my song bottom, for, for my new job here. at the Utah Jazz, because I literally did start at the lowest possible job you could do as a utility person, and now I'm here. <laughs> How do you approach getting to know the all these gruff coaches you read up in your bio you have connections to Lavelle Edwards who many would say is is very gruff Ron McBride who polar opposites I, I would say in in how affable that man is but Jerry Sloan or even Pat Summit I look in in the women's game she can be gruff how do you get these gruff coaches to break down and and trust you in the job that you are in now it's a great question because I think it's the most important thing I can be in this job is authentic. You know, when I was a young broadcaster, I remember someone saying to me, I sent in a resume tape and he's giving me feedback on my resume tape. And I'm like, hello, I'm Holly Rowe. Da, 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 da. And he's like, you're being phony. That's not who you are. You know, just be yourself on camera. And I think it was really good advice. Um, but that being authentic is also being um, honest telling the truth, uh, protecting confidences, being somebody that people can trust. And I will say this. So um, I started out doing BYU football games in my career and Lavelle Edwards could not have been greater to me. And Ron McBride, I was a student doing Utah football games. And I think back to that era. And, you know, I was one of the first women probably in Utah that was doing stuff with, with those teams. And they never treated me like a woman. They never treated me poorly. They never... And I said this to Ron McBride the other day on a radio show, like, I don't think I would be here today if it wasn't for you and Lavelle. And another really cool coach from Air Force Academy that I covered a lot, Fisher DeBerry, accepting me and, and bringing me in and treating me well, because, you know, young people could easily get chased out of this business. So Lavelle Edwards could not have been more lovely to me and more great to me. Jerry Sloan was awesome to me. I mean, he would sit down and talk basketball. He would let me come watch practice. He was amazing to me. And then Pat Summit ended up being one of my dearest friends in life. Um, I started out covering her and being like almost too scared to ask her a question to she would invite me to her home. She's the first person that introduced me to, you know, I grew up as a Mormon my whole life, never drank um, until probably in my thirties or forties. And Pat Summit introduced me to Camus Wine and Moonshine. I had moonshine at Pat's moonshine. table out of a bell, a mason jar. I drank moonshine out of a mason jar with Pat Summit at her kitchen table. And so, I don't know, I guess I think it's just being an authentic person that treats people fairly and will, will die to protect their confidences and secrets. I think that's really important. Moonshine is diving into the deep end of drinking. Yeah, her neighbor... You know, I never really drank much alcohol growing up ever. And so um, her neighbor came over. We were all over to dinner at Pat's house. We're having dinner and her neighbor comes over and he's like, hey, just brewed up a batch of moonshine here. Do you want to try it? And it was in a mason jar. Like that's like he literally just brewed it up at his house, walked it over. 
and it tasted like tang. Do you, are you too young to remember tang back in the day? You might be. I, I know tang. I know you know the, tang. They had they had the orangutan in the commercials. I remember. There you go. There you go. So that's what it tasted like, except for I, I immediately started crying and like, <laughs> you know, because it was so strong. But yeah, I drank moonshine at Pat Summit's house. That's that's one of my all time favorite Pat Summit stories. Can't be worse than Sunny D. I remember not liking Sunny D at all growing up. Oh, Sunny Delight. Yeah, I fed that to my son a lot. Definitely. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you see uh, after being able to meet the guys, having media day this season? What was your biggest takeaway from finally being embedded with the characters that you'll be covering with the Utah Jazz? Yeah, first of all, it was really cool for me because, you know, I'm a fan of the Utah Jazz. So even when I've been gone from Utah and working for ESPN for the last 25 years, I mean, I followed the team. The day we got Donovan Mitchell, I started following him on social media. Um, I, I've actually been lucky because I've covered a lot of the players on the Utah Jazz when they were in college. Um, so that's really exciting for me because, you know, like I've known Udoka Azbuki since he was 18. Actually, I've known Doke since he was 16 years old, I met him wow. on his recruiting visit to Kansas. I was at Kansas covering a big Monday um, Jayhawk game. And there was this big kid sitting behind the bench. And I went over and met him and he was 16 years old on his recruiting visit. I remember that like it was yesterday. Uh, Jared Butler, I've just covered all, all of his time at, at um, Baylor. I, I just covered him in the big 12 tournament, you know, in March. So it's kind of cool because I have previous relationships with all these kids that I've covered in college basketball. But then this is the first time I got to really properly meet Rudy. Uh, I think I met him at a party at the ESPYs before, but I just got to properly speak to him. So that's really cool. And I, here's my number one takeaway. They're hungry. Like every single guy we talked to, and you were in that room with me, um, I would say they talked about their personal development in the off season, like what they did to get better, having the best record in the league last year and then falling short in the playoffs, I think left a wound, like a real wound with a lot of these guys, because you have this incredible time. And I know injuries played a huge factor in that, but I think every single guy we talked to on Monday was hungry. I think it's a good sign for the jazz and for jazz fans is they have a mission. Um, you know, the Utah jazz have never won the NBA championship closest they ever came was, you know, Carl Malone era, which I got to be there. I actually was a runner for the, um, for NBC for the finals in Utah that year. So I got to be there and, and watch the, the Carl Malone, Michael Jordan, you know, Byron Russell, that still gives me anxiety to talk about that. Where right were now, you, where were you for the shot? Yeah, I was on the court. I was on the, I was back in the like, um, tunnel area because I was a runner for NBC sports. And, uh, I'll tell you my weirdest this is my weirdest story working for the Utah Jazz. So I was a runner for NBC during that finals. And um, the day before that game or the day of that game, I was out on the court taking stats to somebody and Quinn Buckner, who was the radio broadcaster for the Chicago Bulls at that time, he was a buddy of mine and he, he was chatting with me and he's like, Hey, where were you yesterday? I didn't see you yesterday. And I was like, Oh, I, I was very sick. And he's like, what do you mean? I said, oh my gosh, my stomach, you know, I've just been really sick. I had kind of like a stomach flu. He's like, can you wait right here for a second? And I was like, sure, what's going on? So he goes over and he gets the Chicago Bulls athletic trainer. And he comes over to me and asks me all these questions about my illness, 
about my bowel movements recently. Like this is too much information, but this is a real story. And I'm mortified and I'm looking at Quinn like, why did you get this guy to ask me all these personal questions? They were trying to figure out where Michael Jordan got sick from and why he was sick. So, mm. so they were trying to figure out Michael Jordan grabbed some food off the TV craft services table, leaving the building. And so did I. And so I think I know I know the documentary. I know Michael Jordan has this theory about this mystery pizza that was delivered. I'm pretty sure he actually got food poisoning from the craft services table in the Delta Center at that time. Wow. So, because I did, too. Um, so anyway, he had food poisoning and they were able to kind of diagnose him. But that was my really weird inside story for the NBA finals is trying to help the Bulls team. I didn't mean to help them, but trying to help them diagnose um, Michael Jordan's illness. It was crazy. Growing up a jazz fan and then helping the Bulls in the end. No, I don't know if it helped them, but I, I mean, I'm pretty sure that's where he got the food poisoning. <laughs> well, and you still worked it? You still, I worked, still worked it? it yeah. Sick? You're not going to miss that game. That's true. That's you crawl true. on your hands and knees. You you do it. Okay. And you were you were running stats for that? Yeah. You running I, was them a, to I was a runner. Yeah, you did everything. Like I would go get stuff for the announcers. You would you you pull cables, you clean up. I mean, you do everything. Wow. Okay. And can we see you in the photo? <laughs> the famous shot photo? Hmm. I have I've never gone back. I have photos of that time, but I don't think I've ever gone back to see if I'm in that photo. I'll have to do that because you can was, see everybody. The hands it was on devastating. Heads. Yeah, I, it was. That was the team. That was the year. You know, that was such a special team for the Utah Jazz. That was as heartbreaking of a moment as ever. The most success that I saw, at least around here, being a local here, was uh, when they went to the Western Conference Finals and feeling devastated when they play against the San Antonio Spurs, who are this dynasty, and you can tell. The other side, they've got Hall of Famers on that team, and and it was just too much in the end. You had to tip your cap to one of those great teams on the other side. Yeah, I went to those games as a fan in Utah. So what I've learned throughout my career is when your team that you love is in a big game, you go. I, I've told this to college football fans for many years. You know, when Utah got to the Sugar Bowl, you go to that game because then they end up beating Alabama, and it's the best game in Utah history. So. Um, I spent every last time I had and I went and I took my son and we went to those games because um, when when your team is in the Western Conference finals, it's a huge deal. And so we were we were in the crowd for those games. It was awesome. Right behind the basket, the South basket. What does that environment compare to some of the great environments that you you go across this country, college football and otherwise? How does how does it compare? It's awesome. I would say Utah has a great fan base and great fans. I here's this is an outsider's look coming back in. So, you know, because I go and I work all around the country, I will say I think Utah Jazz fans could be a little kinder. Like I, I've heard people yell some really bad stuff. So I, that's my goal for us this year is to you can be loud and passionate and not be nasty. I think that's a, a good way to be. But I think we have a great fan base. I think Utah Jazz fans are passionate. They're loyal. They're true. They've suffered through a lot. Um, I That place gets rocking, like absolutely rocking. I went to a playoff game. Gosh, this would have been three years ago, maybe Donovan's rookie season. I went to, or maybe the next year I went to playoff games and that place was rocking. And I was proud. I, I, I always leave there feeling like I'm so proud of Utah fans. Like we're awesome. Like these jazz fans are awesome. I think I've gotten to the 
old age of having to need hearing, you know, pads in my in my ear now. When I when that place gets so loud, it's just too loud for me. My head starts getting a headache, and I I can barely tweet for the jazz when you're in there, and and it's going crazy. And it wasn't even a full crowd against the Clippers, and it was still that loud. It was wild. It was still loud. Yeah, I I've been upstate, so I went to Penn State two week uh yeah two Saturdays ago. You know, and it's 109,000 people going crazy, and it's so loud you can feel like it rattling yep. your bones right here. I think that's how the jazz are. Like I'm I'm proud of who we are and what we do as a fan base. Um, but as I said, I just want us to be um, a little kinder, gentler fan base where we're loud and crazy and hectic, but we're also not nasty. That's my goal. And it's a very attainable one at that. We'll end on this because you're covering it right now. WNBA in the semifinals. You've got Connecticut, Chicago on one side, uh, Vegas against Phoenix on the other. What's the most interesting uh, thing that you're looking forward to this uh, semifinals as it heads to the finals of the WNBA? Yeah, well, as we're recording this, I was telling you before, I'm so tired. I had a double overtime game last night. You know, I got done working about midnight East Coast time. And it was absolutely thrilling because it's some of the legends of the game. Like Candace Parker is maybe one of my all-time favorite players, probably her and Sue Bird are my all-time favorite WNBA players that I'm, that I'm covering right now. And Candace Parker at 35 years old in double overtime is balling out, like playing so great and so hard. And Courtney Vandersloot, you know, I covered her when she was in college at Gonzaga. And uh, I always, I always associate her. She's my female John Stockton because, you know, she played at Gonzaga like he did, you know, he, she grew up, he went to her games um, and she had a, a, WNBA playoff record 18 assists in that double overtime game. She's just recording the second triple double in WNBA history in the playoffs. Her and Cheryl Swoops have the two WNBA triple doubles in the playoffs. And I got to be at that game last night. So that was awesome. Um, but I do have to give a shout out to my Utah stars because I started my WNBA career 25 years ago in Salt Lake city, Utah. And I, again, I started out pulling cables, being a stage manager. Um, and then I worked my way up and become the color analyst for the Utah Stars for the final years that that franchise was in Utah. And I always mourn that, that we lost that franchise. I wish we could have kept them there, but they are now the Las Vegas Aces. And so it was really cool to see the Las Vegas Aces playing Phoenix in a really close down to the wire game in their opening round of the semifinals. And the whole, the whole Utah Jazz team was sitting courtside. Yep. Like I saw Donovan Mitchell, Eric, um, oh, who else did we see there? But Jordan I saw Clarkson. The, Jordan Clarkson was there. Yeah, they were all sitting front and center. And I was like, oh my gosh, I need to educate the boys that this was, I, that was an inside joke, if you know what I'm saying. But I, I should, I should explain that. But I need to tell them that the, um, the stars, that franchise, the Las Vegas Aces started out as the Utah Stars. So that's actually our Utah Jazz franchise they were they were supporting last night so that was kind of cool i'm waiting for emma meesman to come back oh, you like to emma? the w- playoff emma playoff emma oh my gosh i didn't even realize that's the shirt you had on i could not love you more right now why do you love emma meesman so she plays like one of my favorite players growing up memetto kerr yes Just the pick pick and pop foreign euro shoot the three and big game performer during that finals run that the Mystics had, she was the MVP, scoring all the clutch buckets, bombing from deep, just like a Mehmet Okur. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. Yeah. Emma Mieseman is great. She was the finals uh, two years ago when Washington Mystics won the WNBA championship. She was, and that's why they made those shirts playoff Emma. She came out to play in the playoffs and she led them to the championship. She was the best player on the floor in game five of the WNBA championships for the Washington Mystics. And um, Emma, she's amazing. I love her. Um, I'm really like, now I know I can trust you as a human that you have that shirt on and that you care about the WNBA. Like now we're, now we're sealed for life. I like it. Thank you. I got another WNBA uh, shirt, um, Clarendon shirt uh, from Breaking Tea. Yeah, Leisha. Yes. Trans athletes deserve to be in sports too. Yeah. Leisha has been very brave. Leisha is the first uh, trans WNBA player to kind of really be open and public about her journey. And uh, we try to support Leisha no matter what they are doing and just love her very much and her courage. And um, I've actually talked a lot to Lasia about, you know, the legislatures have passed these laws trying to limit trans youth in youth sports. And I, I have a member of my very immediate close family. My niece is trans. And so that's a that's a topic very close to my heart that um, I'm glad that you bought that and supported Lasia. That makes me feel happy. She's an amazing player to watch. And um I mean, NBA fans who are listening to this might know her. Uh, she did a couple games for the Kings um, last year, and bright basketball mind can explain it as well. Much like, uh, I don't know, some of the new players that are out that are analysts, um, Renee Montgomery, very much yeah. like that, has a passion for the game uh, that comes across on screen. Yeah, I think a little bit it's like the Tony Romo quarterback analyst yeah. in football. I think point guards are that kind of, similar thing in basketball because they see the game in a different way and therefore they can explain the game and then they know what the sue bird's another one that's that's coming out she does some work with us on espn as an analyst uh candace parker though as a as a forward she's really good on tnt uh this was kind of a cool thing you know inside the nba on tnt they have such good shows and adam lefko is one of the hosts on tnt so Adam was at the game last night, some, this guy, some guy, you know, everybody's in masks, so it makes it hard, but um, some guy was sitting courtside and he's like, Holly, Holly, we've never met. I want to meet you. And he's like, I'm Adam Lefkoe. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I know who you are. So it turns out he lives in Brooklyn and he had never seen Candace play. He works in the studio with her every week on TNT, but he's never seen her play in person. And so he drove two and a half hours to be at her game and she balled out double overtime win um, and I just thought that was really cool. So I had to shout out Candace because she's great on TNT. We have a lot of really good, talented women talking basketball in our society. And I absolutely love it. Doris Burke, I got to give Doris a shout out too. She's one of my best friends. And uh, I'm really excited to that that she's doing so well as, as well. Not to keep it on this tick, but since you got me started talking about broadcasts or something I could do forever, Beth Moen's on the Summer League was awesome to hear. <laughs> That was new for Beth. So um, I was really excited. They used her. Here's a funny story. I was actually on Beth came to Utah with me. We were Mm. up in Park City mountain biking and golfing the day that I found out about the Utah jazz job. So that was kind of. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, okay. Well, it's so funny. Should I tell you this? I don't know if I'm allowed to tell the story. I hope Bart Sharp is okay with this, but I'd gotten, um, you know, Bart reached out to me. But his title is chief marketing officer. 
And he was just kind of like, hey, I'd love to talk to you about getting involved with the Utah Jazz Organization. But because it said chief marketing officer, I thought, oh, well, they might want me to tweet about the jazz or support the jazz publicly. I'm all in on that because I do it anyway. Like I, I'm tweeting about the jazz, like supporting the jazz, you know, my whole life. So I'm like, sure, that'll be great. And I went to meet with him and he's like, yeah, I would love to see if you would get involved on the broadcasting side. And I was shocked because that's not what I had expected. And never saw it coming, but it's like the honor of a lifetime. When I tell you, like, I just walked out of there and I was trying to act all cool and normal in front of Bart, like, yeah, of course, you know, this, whatever. And then I walk out and I'm, I just start crying and I'm like, this is so cool. Oh my gosh. You know, like, just such a, I'm such a nerd, but you've got to imagine this little kid who remembers the day the Utah Jazz moved to Salt Lake City. The news reports that the, the New Orleans Jazz were moving to, I think it was like in 1976 or something. Um, and now fast forward and I get to cover the team. It's just amazing to me. It really is amazing. I'm pinching myself. And doing it with someone who you worked with before in Bowler and and Big T on the broadcast as well. This is This is the full circle moment. It really is. I did my first ever college football game for ESPN with Craig Bullerjack. I've been working with Craig Bullerjack for close to 30 years. He and I did, did BYU stuff together and KSL stuff together. Um, and now here we are. So uh, it's really cool, you know, so cool for me. And then of course, Thurl Bailey, I was a fan of his my whole life. You know, when he played here, gosh, I, I went to probably 50 games that he played in in his career so now to get to work with him like I'm just geeking out I'm trying to act like a grown-up you know like broadcaster like this is you know so professional and wonderful and inside just know that this little girl from Bountiful Utah is totally geeking out about this it's so cool well we can't wait to watch the broadcast see it unfold she is Holly Rowe newest member of the broadcast team on Ramball Roundup on utahjazz.com Holly thank you so much Thanks for having me. I'll see you at the games.